in the workplace, that means helping people realize how they matter and helping leaders enable the conditions where people can really feel like they're connected to something bigger than themselves. Hey guys, this week we sit down with Zach Mercurio, and I think you're really going to like this conversation. Zach, for many years, has been focusing on talking about leadership, but also just talking um, and working with businesses on how they can really develop their culture. And so I think that if you're in the place where you have wanted to have a more intentional culture um, within your company, where your employees are more engaged, where even maybe you're more engaged in your work, then I think that you'll really, really like this episode. And I encourage you to listen all the way through and make sure you touch base with Zach after this episode. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Small Business Storytellers, the podcast designed for business owners, marketers, and entrepreneurs wanting to make an impact through the work that they do. I'm your host, Seth Silvers, and my passion is building brands that last by marketing with stories. On this podcast, we share stories with you of people who are growing their businesses the right way, and we teach you how to grow what you're doing through storytelling and authentic marketing. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Small Business Storytellers. Uh, this week, I get to sit down with somebody, I guess, sit down over Zoom, look at while I'm sitting down. <laughs> uh, with Zach, is it Mercurio? How do you say your last name? Mercurio. Mer- Mercurio. Yeah, it's a tongue you got twister. it. It's kind of like Mercutio from Romeo and Juliet, but the T is an R. Okay, okay. Mercurio. Yeah, there, there we you go. go. Um, Add that to the list of episode of questions you should ask before you hit record. Uh, but anyway, this is fun because Zach and I have kind of like rubbed shoulders a lot for the last four or five years. And we've like been in similar circles in a sense of uh, we're talking about doing business differently and we're both in Fort Collins. And so I think this will be a really valuable conversation um, about really finding meaning in work and just learning from some of the experiences that Zach has um, has gotten to do and see in businesses. So Zach, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we're finally talking. I know. Yeah, awesome. we've had to we've had to reschedule a few times. So this is great. Uh, yeah. Zach and I first met because we we uh, both spoke at a small event here in Fort Collins and yep. said we should get together and then just kind of have rubbed shoulders ever since. So uh, Zach, tell us what do you do? I guess the easiest way to say it is that I help people realize their own significance. And what I mean by that is in the workplace, that means helping people realize how they matter and helping leaders enable the conditions where people can really feel like they're connected to something bigger than themselves through what they're doing, no matter what they do in their jobs. And so there's another there's a few ways that I do that. I mean, I do research at CSU in the Department of Psychology and in the CSU School of Education on what makes work meaningful. But then I also work with a large variety of organizations uh, and their leaders on how to cultivate a sense of purpose through creating environments that enable the experience of meaningfulness. So meaningfulness is, do I know how my work is significant to other people? Do I know how it fits into a bigger whole? And then am I able to use my strengths and my gifts to do that? And the result of that research finds is prolonged, sustained motivation, happiness, well-being, and as an ancillary result, usually business success. I love that. I I just got done interviewing um, a financial planner in Denver who their firm exclusively invests in ESG related companies Mm. Um, because now the data is starting to show that, uh, well, this isn't the reason they do it, but they're, you know, they do it because they believe it's the right thing to do. But the data is beginning to show that businesses that uh, prioritize doing good and doing the right thing and treating people well, it's actually makes a lot of business sense. Like your business is going to grow and people are going to stay around a long time and turnover is going to be low. And all of these things begin to happen when we do the right thing. Yeah. And even taking it a step back, you know, I see organizations as individuals who organize individual human beings. And what we know 
like this, all this stuff is not surprising to me because when you look at the neuroscientific research out of UCLA, they've known for a number of years that there's part of our brain that's hardwired for altruism. So when we think about our impact or when we give back to something bigger than ourselves, we get a little boost of neurotransmitters called dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. These are the things that control for mood, movement, and motivation. And these are the very things leaders are trying to get people to do, right? You think of those three things, mood, movement, and motivation. That's work. Uh, You think about people trying to, what people are trying to get stakeholders to do, uh, external, internal. And so I think that this movement just hits on something really actually very primitive um, that scientifically we are wired to contribute. And any way an organization especially gives us a pathway to do that, human beings are likely to take it. Hmm. I love that. How, how did you get into this? Give us a little bit of your story and how you started doing this work. Do you want to go way back? I'll go way back. I'm yeah, from Rhode Island and I'm the youngest of three brothers. And when they're, you're the youngest, you get good at two things. The first is entertaining yourself. <laughs> and the second is comparing yourself to other people. Huh. And, you know, always trying to match up, you know, always trying to be just good enough as, as my two older brothers. And I remember through high school, I didn't really even know who I was because I put on so many different costumes to try to blend into different crowds to try to get significance, right. trying to play a sport to gain significance. And I was always just barely mediocre <laughs> at all these things because <laughs> I didn't really re- mediocre, I, yeah, barely. barely because I didn't really reflect on like who I was outside of how I saw myself against other people. Hmm. So fast forward to what happened, what happens when you're in college Uh, And that happens is that it's easy to trick yourself into thinking that acquiring and achieving things will give you a sense of worth. And I found myself in a really high paying advertising job right out of college. And I was absolutely miserable, Mm -hmm. even though everyone else thought I was successful. And so I remember uh, thinking in that job, there's got to be a better way to work. I mean, we talk about this all the time. I mean, all I heard people talking about was the week, the last weekend or the weekend coming up. I remember a cab driver in DC. He said to me, Hey, Zach, you know, how, how's it going? He didn't say my name because he didn't know it, but he said, Hey, how's it going? And I said, uh, Is it the weekend yet? And I remember it was hmm. Tuesday at hmm. the time. And I was like embarrassed by that afterwards. And uh, so I realized very early on, I was lucky to be able to just stop, pause, and ask why. Why am I doing this? And I ended up working in higher education after that job to make sure nobody ended up like me and was able to ask those questions of themselves, like, who am I? Why am I? What are my gifts? What kind of impact do I want to make? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? Um, And then slowly, I realized you can research this and companies and organizations, that's where people spend almost 40% of their waking lives. They're yearning for this. And it morphed into doing this work largely in organizations. And one of the reasons why I like doing this work in businesses is that work is really one of the only places outside of family and friends that we can transcend ourselves to something else. Hmm. And oftentimes that opportunity for meaningfulness can go uh, underinvested in in favor of pursuing results for results sake. Uh, and that's what I think has led to some of the engagement crises you, crises you see in organizations now. And so that's how I got here. Really, that's why I say, like, you know, I help people realize their own significance where they right. are now and help people create environments where people can feel significant so that they can experience meaningfulness, so that they can thrive, so that they can achieve results. Mm-hmm. So when you go into a business, do you kind of have some processes or tools that you like help them implement? Like, how does that actually work when a business hears this or sees you and they're like, yes, we want that. We want our people to be more engaged. We want our work to feel like it's mattering more. Um, Even at times, I'm sure you have people that say, we want to figure out ways to do our work in a more impactful way. How are you Hmm. actually helping them do that? I really start first with mindset work. Um, Before you and I were talking, I said, you know, if you have a brain, you can experience meaningfulness. Right. And, you know, some, a lot of my work, my research is with people in frontline professions. So I just finished up a research study with janitors at Mm. the university. 
And one of the things that we find is that people who do work that sometimes is looked down upon by society, unfortunately, work that is sometimes mundane and routine, is that we find that that people are able to craft meaning into their work. For example, uh, there was this janitor that I was interviewing at CSU and I had uh, asked her why she came out of retirement because she had gotten a retirement plan. She had been at the university for 25 years. She came out of retirement to be a janitor level one again. And I just asked her why she did that. And she said, Zach, I couldn't stand the thought of those kids in that dormitory not having a mom figure away from home, right? And she had constructed and crafted her work as being an educator. It just happened that she cleaned toilets. That was what she did. And she would do things like she would say to herself before she cleaned the bathroom, she would say, uh, I'm doing this so that kids don't get sick. Like she would tell me that that's how she maintained meaningfulness. So, and that's what we find that there are ways to craft our work as meaningful. So before I do anything in an organization, I help people to develop the skills to discern the meanings that are already there, not go out and find some big meaning or big purpose. Because inevitably, if you look at any task that you do today, for example, if you're listening, and instead of picking up your phone and looking at your calendar and saying, what do I have to do today? And instead, you just ask and try this for seven days. Just look at your calendar and say, how is what I'm doing today going to impact another person? you can train your mind to think in a purposeful way. So that's usually where I start is helping people think purposefully and be purposeful because there's a difference between like having purpose and being purposeful. Right. And uh, so that's where I start. And I start that process usually with leaders and then frontline workers and then organizational leaders and then uh, helping to optimize a system that enables that type of thinking, you know, through the environment, reward structures, things like that. Uh, and then communicating that meaning outward and, and through internally, regularly through stories. Hmm. So we, uh, I'm curious to how backwards you, like how backwards you think that our culture is in this? Because I, I hear a lot from people that like, well, my job doesn't matter. And usually what they mean by that is they get paid really little mm, or they do a yeah, job, you yeah. know, whether, um, you know, whether you're, a janitor or I mean even teach you know it's been really popular for teachers it's kind of been a movement in the last few years mm-hmm. is um, people realizing how underpaid teachers are and stuff um, how detrimental has it been well, I guess before talking about the detriment like do you feel like society wise we typically assign like your job is more meaningful based off of how much you make yeah well, think about this, right? Think about our, how you were educated and I was educated. Right. We were educated to our worth was gauged by an arbitrary letter that we got, right? Yeah. We tend to be measured in yeah, our society. Never showed anybody that. Yeah, way. yeah, right. We tend to to measure people by what they do and what they get for what they do, right? So, um, and the problem with being like motivated by a result, a thing like a grade, a paycheck, a job title is that you can achieve it. And then what? Well, then you have to find something else. And then what? Well, then you have to find something else. And then what? And you get into this cycle of perpetual disappointment and despair, and you keep clawing away for something that will make you happy. um, All the while you are leaving a legacy. Hmm. And that's, I think, the difference between people who think purposefully and people who don't is that people who think purposefully just go along with how they've been socialized to think that if they acquire and achieve the next thing, then they'll be happy. People who think purposefully think about how can I contribute right now where I am, even if I want to get somewhere else. So I learn how I do contribute best. I learn about myself, my strengths, my impact. And I can use that knowledge uh, where, to where I go in the future. And we find that and research is very clear on this, that happiness, right? The transient state of pleasure through achievement is a very temporary thing. Whereas meaningfulness, when we're thinking about virtues and others outside of ourselves, and we have to reflect on our lives and reflect on our day and be active in our mind, it's much more associated with long-term vitality long-term thriving and long-term flourishing. And right. so if the same is true with an individual, then you take a collection of individuals in an organization in the same, um, 
is true as well. So I think in some ways, like we have to kind of re-socialize ourselves and know, and not like, I'm not saying that results are not important, like having yeah. a job, getting good quarterly earnings report, like all of that stuff right. helps you to survive, to deliver purpose. I just worry about people who make the result, the pursuit, the ultimate pursuit, because just like cause and effect, right? You can't get an effect by pursuing an effect, right? Get an effect by pursuing a cause, right? You get results by pursuing your contribution, your purpose by experiencing meaningfulness. So what, what things do we need to unlearn? Like there's probably a lot of things like for us as Americans or as people, whoever's listening to get to the place where we feel like our work is truly meaningful. What do we need to unlearn that we've been taught? That's such a good question, Seth. I mean, I think unlearning the idea that we can even not matter. <laughs> like, for example, if you look at basic, like, like system, that, it, that it's like, either you matter or you don't. Like, for example, I mean, there's one, there's, there is one thing that is true about every day, no matter how bad it is, right? You have an opportunity to contribute. Uh, so while you're like maybe hating your job, there's someone next to you that spends 30% of their waking life there. That's an opportunity to contribute. Um, you, the task that you do, simply asking yourself instead of like, oh gosh, I gotta get, I gotta get this done. Asking yourself, what would happen to another human being if I didn't do it? And oftentimes when you ask those questions, you'll find that the things that you do are inextricably linked to other human beings. We almost like from a systems perspective, we can't not matter. But that's a scary thought because then we have to take responsibility for the way others experience us. Hmm. And that's, uh, that's a lot, right? Like we have right. to, you can't just say on, on, on Monday, oh gosh, if I just get through to the weekend. Right. I mean, the days that begin with the letter S are two sevenths of our lives, right? It is astounding mm-hmm. how many people live for 27% of their life, right? Right. And I think that what happens is we just overlook our capacity to make a difference where we are right now. You're already doing it. And that's why I say, when I talk about purpose, it's not about going out and finding some big purpose. It's right. about being purposeful, thinking in a sense of how, how can I contribute today? How can I use my strengths to improve the moment around me? Uh, and as you do that, you end up feeling more fulfilled in where you are. And then you have a lot of self-knowledge to go into whatever business or other job maybe that you want to go into. And right. those stories of impact to provide evidence of your meaning and meaningfulness. So is there, are there jobs that don't matter? Because I know a lot of people that think that their job doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, there is that whole movement around BS jobs, right? Huh. I don't think <laughs> like I, I don't think I've actually heard about. There's that. a book called There's a book called Bullshit Jobs. Okay, and it's it's a bestseller, and it got a lot of reviews. Um, I find it hard to I, I I would like a challenge. You know, if someone could send me a job they think doesn't matter. And I don't mean matter like to the end user. I mean that you being there doesn't matter because every job, every organization on the planet at the very end of the supplier service chain, there is a human being like mm-hmm. at the very end, uh, almost every task we don't exist in, in isolation, right? Almost every task we do matters to someone else. Um, you know, so I don't know. I don't think any job could not, doesn't matter. Yeah. Although some jobs, it may be really, really difficult to find the link between the task and the end outcome, probably because the environment has made it really difficult to do so. Right. So this concept of not mattering is an option. We need to unlearn that. What are some other things that we probably need to like rewind, recalibrate, unlearn that culturally we've been taught about work? Yeah, I mean, so the the other thing is that uh, of what motivates people. Um, one of the self-fulfilling prophecies that I see leaders making in organizations is they think that people are motivated by money. But the janitors that I research um, repeatedly told me, I may be here for a paycheck, but it's not why I want to keep coming here. And so that's a big difference, right? That, that 
primarily people, and we've known this really in studies since the 1950s, that some of the most important values in work, for example, are things like self-realization, um, realizing what your potential, using your strengths, uh, having a sense of significance right. and meaningfulness. And those are the things that we find really motivate people from a, a motivation, motivational perspective. So I think that idea is important or the idea that anything external can motivate someone for the long term. I'll even go there, perks, ping pong tables, all of those external things. While they may make us feel pleasurable in the moment, they right. typically don't produce sustained motivation over time. So I think right. that's something that we need to, to unlearn and be able to be wise enough to know the difference between what an internal motivator is, like finding meaning and meaningfulness and purpose and virtuousness, and an external motivator, which is uh, essentially manipulation. Hmm. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I, I want to I get your perspective a little bit on this, this kind of whole conglomerate of you know, phrases that we've become addicted to, like scaling and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hustle and grinding and all of this stuff that I'm guessing has had an adverse effect on work really being meaningful. But where did it, like, do you know in history, like, where did it shift? Like, is there a point in the last hundred years where, like, work all of a sudden became about, you know, it kind of went away from meaning? more towards money or like, can you give us like a, a yeah, little history yeah, lesson on this and how, yeah, how we got cool. into this? I mean, so if you go back pre late 1800s industrial revolution, right? Uh, I think the second industrial revolution and you look at, you look at work and a lot of work was craft. So shoemakers, mm -hmm. um, stonemasons, you know, a lot of the work that humans did was actually inherently purposeful. For example, you make a shoe, you put it on someone's foot. It was inherently human-centric, right. right? And then we got into the Industrial Revolution, which revolutionized this idea that people will do, people will do discrete parts of a bigger whole. So we'll break these, these big products into parts, and you'll just do a part. And, and you're talking about like assembly line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that It morphed into that, but that people will just work on this particular part and we can organize labor in this way. And what happened was slowly people lost touch of why the work mattered, right? And those crafts, like the individual craft of being a shoemaker, ended up turning into factories that made shoes. And maybe instead of making the whole shoe now, you just made the sole of the shoe and passed it on. Hmm. So people didn't know the significance of their work. They didn't know the uh, identity of their work, how it fits into a bigger whole. They probably weren't using their strengths to do it if they were just in a particular right. um, part of it. So then you get uh, things like despair happening. And we actually see this cycling back now. Hmm. You get feelings of despair, like uh, William Durkheim, he's a famous sociologist. He actually published a study on suicide around that time. And what he found was that one of the the prime uh, contributors to the mental health crisis in the late 1800s was people's loss of meaningful work. And he writes this really um, amazingly because work is one of those places we can contribute. If people mm -hmm. don't know how they contribute anymore, despair can set in from a mental health perspective. And this is why I think that a, that a noted sociologist was concerned about the meaning of work um, is, a, is really telling. And now think about what's happening with our generations now, we're going back to crafts. Mm -hmm. Like we're going back to craft everything, like farmer's markets. Like we, we want the real thing because we want to feel that purpose. So I think in the workplace, there's a big opportunity to learn some lessons there about making sure even if people are doing disparate tasks that fit into a bigger hole, making sure people know how their task fits in as a craft to this bigger picture. So that's a little history of, I yeah. think ever since then, we really got away from that. But work was inherently purpose-centered. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, um, I need to verify this story, but I've heard that uh, like in the early days of, um, I think it was Ford, that there was like, they were growing really, really fast. They had a ton of profits and they were wanting to um, create another factory pretty much solely to give more people jobs. 
like just yeah, to give kind yeah. of as a way to give back to the community. And um, the uh, stockholders in the company said like, no, we think that we deserve the money like as investors, like you need to give it back to us. And it, it, I think it actually made it to the Supreme Court and ended up turning into this huge case. And the Supreme Court initially determined that like, yes, you need to pay back your stockholders. And that was one of the first times in American history. This was like early 1900s where all of a sudden the company's primary interest became not in the people that they serve, but in the people who have an ownership stake in it. And now, I mean, we see that all the time in the startup community or the business community where um, like so much of the focus is on the growth aspect, the scaling aspect. So how has like almost, you know, an obsession with growing at all costs. So many people are talking about, um, you know, the, the hustle of a startup or whatnot, like, are these things healthy? Are these conversations healthy? How are they affecting this conversation of meaningful work? Yeah, I'm not naive in the sense that I think that you can even deliver purpose if you don't have profit. Like, for example, yeah. I, I don't think it's purpose or profit or any of that. I think it's uh, you have profit because of purpose. I love that. And it, it is, you, if you go back to just basic business principles, all this jargon is just basic business principles of value creation, mm -hmm. right? If you create value for human beings, also known as purpose now, then you will have results. If you solve a meaningful need, if you fill a meaningful need, if you solve a problem, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Blake Mykoski, the founder of Tom's. And he said, um, success is finding a meaningful need and filling it better than anybody else. Hmm. And I think that the danger of the hustle and the startup community and that whole chasing after the result is that you forget the cause of the result. Right. Like, you know, and it goes back to what I said earlier, that if you chase the effect for the effect's sake, you're not going to get this, the effect. Right. Um, and so making sure that you don't lose sight of the human contribution that you want to make is, is critical for that result to follow. There's a great example of Best Buy right now. Best Buy's had a remarkable turnaround. And why is that, right? So when you look at what Best Buy's been able to do is they were struggling against Amazon and the large retailers, right? Online retailers can't mm -hmm. compete with online. So what did most brick and mortars do? Well, they tried to cut costs and compete online. So they cut investments in people, they cut jobs. Meanwhile, the ultimate competitive advantage of a brick and mortar electronics store is the human connection. So what Best Buy has done is they've actually reinvested millions of dollars in their people. And if you look at their case study in the past three years, they've regained profitability, grown fast. Hmm. If you go to Best Buy down here in Fort Collins, it's always busy now because they realize that every result is mediated through a human being. Hmm. Every financial result is mediated through a human being. And they realized that their ultimate differentiator was human beings and they invested where their purpose was. And so I think that that's something that, you know, is often overlooked. I met with a guy, he took me out to coffee and he, he literally started the, he was a publicly traded company executive and he started the conversation with, I read your book and nice try you know, the positive psychology movement had a nice try. It was amazing, right? And he said, every day I get up and my worth is dependent upon the value I create for shareholders. Quarterly earnings reports are my purpose. That's why I get up. And I just asked him this question. I said, what financial result is not mediated through a human being? And he, he couldn't answer that question, right? And I said, well, in what state do you think those human beings should be in to mediate these financial results that you care about? And he started talking about fulfillment. They must, they never know it's matter. They got to know the end outcome, meaningfulness. Right. And so just at that level, thinking about that first, and as you're building, if you're, if you're listening and you're building a startup, making sure you're clear on the contribution and you invest in, in the long-term investment in cultivating people that know why you exist and are attached to that why and connect with uh, the work, then I think the results will be better in the long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think that's a great example of how, how this relates to some, you know, you've mentioned a couple huge companies that, you know, have yeah, yeah. thousands and thousands of yep. employees 
talk to us more about how this applies to the solopreneur or the 10 person business or the 50 person business. Um, how does this apply to true small businesses? Because I've, I've known a lot of people that it's like, it's like tithing there or, you know, giving money away. They're like, Oh yeah, I'll give a ton away once I'm rich. Um, and I think it's similar in business where it's like, oh yeah, we'll like, you know, we'll, we'll give more quality products once we have better profit margins or we'll invest more in our people. Like it's always kind of a, when we're bigger, we'll have more leverage to be able to make an impact and stuff. How do we start ensuring that we have meaningful work, impactful work at the ground level when we're small? So you brought up something else I think we need to unlearn, which is the if-then argument. It's okay. one of the most faulty arguments, right? If I get this, if I make it to the weekend, then I'll be happy. Right. Um, and then you just make another if-then argument the next day, right? If I get this, like I work with college students, if I get this degree, then I'll be successful. If I get this starting salary, then I'll be happy. And I always hear from them two years after they got that starting salary that they thought would make them happy looking for something else, right? right. So I think resisting that if-then argument is important. Um, David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, put it this way. Uh, are you living for resume virtues, the things that I'd acquire and achieve for yourself, or are you living for eulogy virtues, the things you want said about you at your funeral? Hmm. And he often says that eulogy virtues actually make the best businesses. Hmm. And because it's true contribution, it's true legacy, right? So I think if you're a startup, if you're a solopreneur, for example, which I am, I think that it can be really difficult in the day-to-day -day when you're doing everything, even someone who like studies purpose and meaningfulness, it can be really easy to just start chasing the things, right? right. Where I'm gonna get the most revenue um, without stopping and asking, how is this opportunity gonna help further deliver my purpose? Or without stopping and pausing and asking why. So I think it's as, as simple as some practices for how you start and end a day. Normally we end our days, right? Thinking about what went wrong, what we are shaming ourselves or comparing ourselves to other people on Instagram. But what if we just ended each day by when did I make an impact today? When did I see my business's purpose in action today? Who, who, who was it today? To maintain a, a focus on that. Because what happens is we usually have, usually when you start a business, right, you have a why, you know the problem, human problem you want to solve or else you pro probably wouldn't be a business. Right. But as stressors come in, like we start focusing on the what more and the why, the, the very fuel that started the business and serves as one of the chief motivators and gives us the energy to keep going, we tend to focus less on that. And so adding in some of this intentional reflection is important. And then making sure that no matter what anybody that you, no matter who you have working for you, that everybody knows how their work contributes to another human being, how their work contributes to a bigger whole, and how they can use their strengths and their gifts to do that work. Right. A very simple framework to make sure people experience meaningfulness in any size company. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's great. And I, I'm even remind like I don't even feel like I think as often as I should about how is my work relating to another human being um and stuff yeah I know well, it's hard like yeah I get up sometimes and I'm like oh my gosh I gotta do this this and that right and we get into like checklist checklist mode or we just think about going after like the revenue because we need the revenue but we forget that the revenue is a result of a combination of unique gifts that we have right and a contribution that we want to make and focusing on that as much or more than you focus on chasing revenue will result in more revenue. Hmm. There's been many, I mean, many studies on how purpose driven companies and organizations outperform their peers by an average of six to one, you know, year over year over year. Um, and so one of the reasons why is because it's a result of the relentless pursuit of contribution and the effect follows. I love that. I, I think that is huge. I'm curious to where you, where you think things are going. I think that so many people like, you know, they criticize like millennials or younger generations for like, Oh, you know, they just need to, they just need to keep their job 
And, you know, they just need to know that you, you know, you put your 40 hours in, put your 40 years in, and then you get to enjoy life at retirement. When a lot of young people are saying like, you know, I'm going to start my own business or I'm going to start my own thing or start doing crafts because this makes me happy. And this is what I want to do. And kind of this thinking of, um, you know, I think differently than my parents and some people that are my parents age to where I truly think that I can make a living doing what I love. Um, and not everybody mm. believes that. And so uh, I think that there's just some different, there's a pretty big gap, I think, in generational think, gener how different generations think about occupation and, you know, vocation right now. So I'm curious to like, where do you see this going? Because it kind of seems like a lot of younger people are, like you said at the beginning of this interview, returning to like the craft side of things. So where is this going on like a bigger picture workforce industry level? Wow. Big question. I yeah. got to be careful because I got to push back on the follow your passion stuff. Good. Because, you know, I actually think that's a little bit of misguided advice that some in, you know, I'm, I think I'm one of the first millennials, but I think some millennials have grasped onto like, do what you're passionate about, you know, do right. what you love. Um, and the, the problem with passion is that it's, uh, it's usually confined to you doing that thing. So the pleasurable experience is confined to you doing that thing. You have to be doing it to feel good, right? And, and passion is usually a short-term experience that comes in episodes, right? And this is why, now passion is important, but where your passion meets up with a human need is when we start getting into purpose. And the reason why purpose is important is because you can contribute using your strengths, the things that light you up in multiple different contexts. And it serves as your legacy, you know, as you impact other people. So I think that when you get into this question of um, that's one vocational just observation that I have is the difference between passion and purpose and that yeah. one we know is much more long lasting and sustaining than the other, but we know that passion informs purpose. You can't make an impact without the energy to do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then this bigger question of, I was just talking to a group of older government workers around this and they asked me this similar question and I just said, hey, raise your hand and this is a multi-generational audience. I said, raise your hand if you would prefer to feel purposeless in your work. And no one raised their hand, right? right. In this group that was already saying, oh, millennials are purpose-driven and, and they need meaningful work. Meaningfulness and purpose isn't a generational trend. It's a, it's a human need. I mean, we know the human brain is a meaning-making machine by default. And so we're all searching for meaning and purpose. I think millennials and Gen Z have a different way of talking about it. For, so for example, a hmm. uh, couple decades ago, without uh, social media and the internet, you could, or three decades ago, my gosh, Seth, you could <laughs> go home, hate your job every day, and all you could tell was your family. That's it. You know, you could go home, you could tell your family, and that's it. It was like this hidden despair that only four or five people really knew. Right. Now, you can go home and tweet it to 2.5 million people. Right. And you can go on your phone and look at, oh, gosh, there's another way. There's another option. I could do that. So I think that's what's happened is not the inherent human desire for it. It's that technology has given us the ability to talk about it hmm. in a different way. And to compare it. And to compare it. Yeah. yeah. And I also think that like when we, when I see like, when I can see a war-torn country from around the world on the palm of my hand, I think people are like, instead of just reading it in the paper through two weeks after it happened, is like, how can I do something about that? We're more connected with that um, inherent need to serve and contribute, as I said at the beginning, and be altruistic than ever before, hmm. than any generation has ever had. And so it's not surprising that something that's primitive is being activated in such right. a strong way and it's pervasive in the narrative right now. But I think that uh, this narrative could, can benefit every generation in, in every job. Yeah. Because I've never met anybody that doesn't want to matter. Yeah, I think that's such a good, such a good clarification. Um, and I really like how you said that. What do you feel like... Uh, do you, well, I guess, do you think that 
part of the problem of like pursuing your passion is does that get in the way of us like finding meaning in our present and in our current circumstance? I think what the problem with just pursuing your passion is that it focuses on you and what you like to do and how you feel. Hmm. Right. And not necessarily on what you're leaving behind and how you're impacting others. Now, of course your passion can impact others. Right. But the focus uh, when you're just focusing, I'm doing this. So I feel good. Well, again, like I said, you'll only feel good when you're doing the thing versus when you can see how you're contributing to a bigger whole. You're doing what David Brooks said and you're thinking about those eulogy virtues or I just heard another thing and they talk about, we'll go up a level here, like a philosophical level, but just asking this question of like, am I being a good ancestor, hmm. you know, to people that come yeah. after me? Like, like you, you could do what you're passionate all day long and not leave something behind. So right. I think as long as that passion has a direction outward, we probably will actually do the thing we're passionate about better when we do that. So I think they go hand in hand. You, have, you, you need to explore both. Hmm. Um, but I worry that when people just pursue their passion and they find something that they're not passionate about or energized about it, they think that they can't make a difference. I was just working with some plumbing contractors after a 12-hour shift on meaning and purpose. And we asked them, how many of you all felt like you were born to be a plumber? No one raised their hand. I asked them, tell me about a time when you experienced your work as meaningful. All of them had a story for that. Mm -hmm. After we did that exercise, I asked them at the end, how many of you all find meaning and purpose in being a plumber? They all raised their hand. So you could do something that you're not passionate about, but find incredible meaningfulness in it that fuels a passion. Yeah, I, I think that is so good and so valuable. And there's a million more questions that I could ask you that I'll just have to ask you over over lunch and our listeners will have to be jealous, but, uh, it sounds like you've read, you read a lot, you learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, what if, uh, I'm looking at a bookshelf behind you. Talk to us about just like, what's been helpful for you along this journey as you've been, you know, figuring out this message and diving into this and what are some helpful resources that have kind of guided you along the way? I mean, in all of this, the first resources, humility, right? I mean, every time I'm on one of these interviews or I'm talking to people, I'm talking to myself. Hmm. I've believed the same lies I want to debunk, right? You know, and I, I, I sink back into it sometimes on a daily basis when I get frustrated with something or a deal that didn't go through. Um, and it's the constant being able to stop and, and just remind yourself of why that's really powerful. So I think having humility there. And then one of the things that I think is really powerful to do is to just develop some of that like scientific literacy. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that I think that's lacking in the world right now of really being able to understand like that there are amazing scientists who know a lot about the structures and workings of your brain. And we have years and years of research to demonstrate that external rewards like money and things don't motivate people for the long term. I can say that with confidence. And so if we know these things, then we have to do something about it and think mm -hmm. differently. And I think when you dig into that and dig into some um, you know, scientific research on this stuff, look up psychological science of motivation, what motivates people, get interested in that. I think it's really, it can be really powerful. But I think the most powerful thing actually is not in any book, but it's talking to people who do real work every day. I love that. And just asking people, ask someone, in, maybe there's someone in your office right now that you think hates their job or you try to avoid them because they may be one of those people that saps energy. And just ask them in the last seven days, which moment in their life has given them the greatest sense of purpose or ask them, when have you felt like this work mattered? And you will be surprised at the inspiring stories that are right there in front of you that can show you how people come to experience meaningfulness and inform yourself. I mean, that study with janitors, honestly, I go back to that every day in my mind. And I think there is someone at CSU's campus that gets up every day, that gets treated poorly by the public, that gets paid a little bit of money, 
and is in a bathroom cleaning someone's toilet and thinking to themselves, I'm doing this so that they don't get sick. Yeah. I mean, you know, answering an email, like, I mean, come on, I can craft my, my work as, as meaningful and purposeful. Mm. Humans have the capacity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is so valuable and I want our, it just, it aligns so much with how I see, see work and see the world and a big reason that we started story on to help mm. businesses market four years ago is just cause we kind of, I kind of just believe like there has to be a better way. And one of our core values from the beginning has just been built around authenticity and that authenticity will win out. And, and I, I love that more and more voices like yourself are becoming um, more popular and not so that you can be popular, but because I think people are kind of getting fed up and they're realizing like there has to be another way to engage with work. Uh, like there has to be another way other than this rat race of meaninglessness mm. that usually ends with nobody being happy. And so I love what you're doing and thank yeah, you, you for, for the work that you're doing and just kind of this message that you're speaking. Uh, I'm looking at a uh, cover of your book, Oh yeah. Visible leader. Yeah. 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 Uh, tell our audience about the book that you wrote. Yeah. The book is, is it was really, it really all started for me because I, I was exploring this idea of purpose. And then I had read, I'd read something from the late 1920s by this uh, woman named Mary Parker Follett. She was a social activist, but she also did management consulting as a woman in the late 1920s. And she had this theory of invisible leadership. And she said that leaders and followers are both following the invisible leader, the common purpose. And it spurred a lot of studies into how a shared, compelling, common purpose that is outside the self is the ultimate leader of organizations. Like when that purpose becomes the boss, people are, can be self-managed, self-led, because the ego doesn't get in the way because the purpose is the boss of all decision-making and the purpose is the boss of your actions and your attitudes. Hmm. Um, and so I took that and did a lot of research on what the phenomenon of purpose was, how it worked and how leaders could adopt that, those practices in their life to make purpose the leader of their lives, but then also to make the purpose, the ultimate leader of their organizations. And that's what the book is really all about. It's about the, the stories of people that I've met, businesses that I've worked with, uh, educational institutions I've worked with, of how these people have put purpose as the most powerful leader. And then there's some really interesting practical exercises that allow you to, to do it. Because I also think this idea of purpose is not just an idea. It has to be a practice. I love that. Habit. Yeah. So uh, where can people find your book? What's the best place? Yeah, really anywhere you want to. Um, you know, you can go to uh, IndieBound and get it at a local store, get it ordered to a local store. If you want to support the local community, it's on Amazon, cool. Barnes & Noble, everywhere. So uh, you can get a free chapter on my website at ZachMercurio.com. Uh, cool. If you'd like. Oh, and one of the, my favorite things is I write this newsletter called The Spark. It goes out every month and it's really all about research and practices around meaningfulness cool. and i often have this section that allows you to download and take an exercise that you can use and try and let me know how it went for you awesome yeah i encourage everybody to to go to your website and just stay in touch and that's such a good tool the spark to find uh just to kind of stay in touch and it sounds like as this message i wouldn't say evolves but as it goes deeper for you and as you're understanding uh goes deeper. I, I, I don't think you've arrived at your message. And I don't say that because, uh, you know, I, I guess I say that because it's very evident that you're going to be learning about this for a long, long time. And you're not going to stop researching yeah. the, this concept of meaningfulness uh, for yeah. a long time. So I, I love that people can, can get that bit of knowledge from you. Uh, in parting words, what would a piece of advice be to small business owners or people that want to start something meaningful that are listening to this? I think for a small business owner, I think stop, stop and ask, I mean, just stop and ask yourself right now, what human problem do we exist to solve? What human being, what human need do we exist to fulfill? 
And does everybody who works with or for me know how they're a part of solving that human problem and filling that human need? And I think that's just a great self-inventory question. If someone's thinking about starting a business or starting something, I think just every day, you know, I encourage people to keep a journal and maybe for 30 days and try this. And each day, just write down what you loved doing, what you were good at that day, and then what really bothered you that day hmm. about the world? What really just struck you that day? And after 30 days, you'll have, um, you know, almost 90 lists and themes of things you love to do, things that you're good at and things that you care about. And the intersection of those is usually where your purpose can be found. Hmm. I love that. I think that that's a really good, that'd be a fun practice to do for 30 days. Yeah, it's really powerful. Range. I've had students do it and you, you will see themes of the things you care about. And often, I mean, the next, the best business ideas, right? I mean, business is inherently an empathetic, purposeful act. Right. I mean, you're putting in your time to develop something that solves a problem or fills a need. Yeah. I mean, and I think going back to that is really important. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love that. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Thanks. I, I know that I will actually listen to this episode a couple of times. <laughs> I will too. I will too. Your questions were amazing. They were like huge world changing questions. So well, if you want to come back those. and answer them differently, then you're always welcome. I so probably we'll would. I probably would. It's just where I'm at right now. The questions were great. It's totally. a great discussion. Great. Well, thanks so much, Zach. I really appreciate it. And uh, everybody who's listening, go find Zach at ZachMercurio.com there you go. Uh, and sign up for the spark. It's only once a month. That's a needed thing. So thanks so much for showing up, Zach. Thank you. Great. This podcast was produced by Storyon Media and Marketing. And our passion is helping small businesses use stories to grow their business. And we create a community that helps you do just that. So if you don't have the budget to hire a big agency, but you really want to learn how to navigate online marketing, how to tell better stories, and really how to build a brand that lasts, then our program, Success with Stories Elite, is for you. Every single week, we give you new trainings, content ideas, and content blueprints to make marketing with stories easy. To join our community, head over to www.successwithstories.com elite, or just click on the link in our show notes. Again, that's successwithstories.com elite. Have an awesome day and let us know what you loved about this episode by leaving a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you so much. My name is Seth Silvers and I will see you next time.